Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is Cesar Pliqueta. this is william this is ali riley hi this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london is blue podcast Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and I cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. All right, we are back, Chelsea fans, not running away from this one. No way, no how. We waited all weekend for the massive build-up to this match against Manchester United in the FA Cup. Boys, there was no way after all of that waiting and anticipation that we are just going to throw in the towel tonight. Nick, no way. Am I right? Nope. Nope. Um, and and just just like a fart in church, this match delivered. It was it was beautiful in all the wrong ways. Also I, extremely uncomfortable. I don't, think, I don't think you'd describe that as beautiful. I think you would describe that as disgusting and uncomfortable well you haven't i mean do you not feel better after a fart <laughs> i can only that... imagine it's like down south where there's just like a fan and everyone's sweating anyways and just it just lingers <laughs> god, uh, we're gonna we need to move on from this analogy real you quick. act like the rest of this podcast is gonna get any better dan like it's actually we're, not we're comfortable here <laughs> anyways fine we will move on um yeah look Dan, Nick, myself. Mike is not around tonight. He is off celebrating a big achievement in his professional life, so we will let it slide. But let's go ahead and roll through this. We have some more amazing iTunes reviews. Dan, that is right. Can you run us through who the lovely people are this week? Just real quick, is this professional accomplishment not being here to record this episode? After I am loss? not <laughs> here to put him in that box. We'll let him defend that later. All right, sounds good. Well, hey, we got four new iTunes reviews this week, five stars. One, uh, Laval from Canada, asking if we actually knew if there were Canadian players. And obviously, I think everyone would know, currently on loan at Darby County, Fiaco Tomori, who has been bossing it, would be the one Fikayo, Canadian player. Fikayo Tomori. Fikayo Tomori. Immediately comes to mind um, from Calgary. So that's excellent. We had uh, MDC 1030. Kept on saying that Nick was giving shout outs to New Orleans. So he had to leave a five-star review. Don't let it go to your head, Nick. I love New Orleans, man. Great city. We know why. Yep, yep. 
No, it's let's just leave it down there. It's a it's an, it's an amazing place with fine people. All right, and the last two, uh, Chris in PCB, and then uh, Phil twenty, all drop in some five star love, and so we appreciate that. You leave a five star review in iTunes. We uh, we shout you out on the podcast at the beginning of the episode, so you feel nice and warm and fuzzy after you listen to us uh, before you listen to us talk about a loss. Yeah, good timing, unfortunately for you guys. Uh, also, good timing to Travis and Corey on Patreon who joined up. Jump on Discord right away. Uh, the match comer- conversation thread was blowing up. I mean the oh. the amount of things that you can uh, can get involved with on our Discord is pretty pretty nice, uh, especially if you need some immediate group therapy going at it and you know speaking of group therapy at fill me 747 our buddy from down under says how do you guys keep calm on the podcast and not want to yell out sorry has no clue get him the hell out of our club i i mean to be fair phil no one ever promised that like we have emotion <laughs> nick uh as as the powder keg the resident emotional person. Uh, look, uh, as as the powder keg and also the only person on this podcast who drinks alcohol, I can tell you for a fact that I've had zero drinks today. That's um, probably for the best because, uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal um, for those. And I think Phil is one of these people who who have been with us since the uh, the very beginning uh, we, we had some of these pods, I think most will remember, in the, in the 15, 16 season, and uh, where we just had some some blind rage, and those were fun. Uh, but those are not sustainable, team. We all need to, we, we may need to get a little bit of that out of our system, Dan, and then and then come back to the center. I think that's probably okay. I think we need to back up to the point where you said that you're the only person on this podcast that drinks alcohol. Because oh, you that's... guys, you make fun of me for being the town drunk. I don't know why. But well, yeah, that's... you can drink responsibly like Dan and I. Yeah. yeah. I'm having a okay. beer right now. So I have a McKellar or Mickler Brewing from San Diego, a nice little beer geek breakfast. I mean, I'm not going to get through this without something to help take off the edge, which is exactly what C. Turi 11 on our Discord server saying, how do I find happiness again, Dan? And I'm not here to say I'm going to find it at the bottom of this pint glass, um, <laughs> but I'm going to look for it. Well, it's a it's a good place to look. Uh, we're watching the match would not be a good place to look for this. Um, you know, re- reflect maybe watching the uh, 2012 Champions League final would be a good place to look for happiness again. Um, you know, th- th- there are places you can find happiness. Just uh, maybe, maybe not right now with Chelsea, unfortunately. Just, I mean, just come on. 2012 is that where we're at as Chelsea fans? The state is just it. That's where we're at. I just, I can't handle it, Nick. Uh, and, and then when you just add salt to the wound, right? Injury <laughs> to, in, or insult to injury, you see Man United's last 10 matches away to Chelsea in all competitions. Uh, how does that look? Can you, can you run us through that one real quick? Yeah, I'm not a big stat guy, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, before today, zero wins. That's good for Chelsea. Two draws. Fine. Eight defeats. Eight. There were zero, two and eight. Then beat us since 2012 at Stanford bridge. When we go back to 2012 again. That's ridiculous. Peak Chelsea, unfortunately, right now. Oh, God, like, man, what? By the way, and and this is Chelsea United. This is a, this is a rivalry from you know the last 20 years. It's been like the best two performing teams over that time, and Chelsea had had beaten or drawn Manchester United in the last 10 matches at Stamford Bridge. I just 
What a, what a record to go down today, boys, huh? Setting all kinds of wrong records. That is the the 2018-19 story of Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, quite unfortunately. So before we drown, our, I mean, get into all of the rest of this, uh, <laughs> let us go ahead and bring you a quick message from our new friends at Black Tux. And we're back. It's into the match review. All right, so you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue, and guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool that allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, here we go, everybody. Manchester United FA Cup at Stamford Bridge this past Monday, February 18th. Chelsea, zero. Manchester United, two. What the hell, Dan? If you just want to go ahead and run us in uh, to a lineup, I mean, does it even matter anymore? What is up? Does water taste wet? I'm confused right now. Taste wet, huh? I, I feel like he was going to talk about how much he loved Lamp next. Um, <laughs> I love Wall yeah. in case you watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh, Aretha Blaga was in between the sticks as Plaqueta, Rudiger, Luis, and Alonso. The return of the back four that has been most widely used by Mauricio Sarri. N'Golo Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic made up the midfield three. And surprise, surprise, Kovacic did not make it a full 90 minutes uh, for the multiple X time this season. Pedro Higuain and Hazard were up front. We did see some Ross, uh, substitutions from one Ross Barkley, one William, and one Zappacosta. That's right. You did not hear that incorrectly. It was not Giroud or Callum Hudson-Odoi that came on on the third substitution. So very expected in some cases but the substitution one was definitely not a surprise and then a massive surprise nick yeah i I think when we look back at this match and and we'll get into all the specifics here in a second but the the zappa costa substitution is what this match will for chelsea fans i think be remembered for not the two sloppy goals not any of the missed opportunities or lack of real build-up play but to bring on a right back when you need when you're searching for two goals is is nuts. I mean, it's just it, it, I think most Chelsea fans were were severely disappointed, and and I know there were a lot of boos in the stadium, which you're not used to hearing on that. But Brandon, uh, I'm not gonna lie that that was that was like rubbing salt in the wound uh, for me. Can I play Dell's advocate though? Who else is he gonna bring on? I'm not saying Zappacasta is the answer. But you've already brought William on for Pedro. Are you going to really bring Iguain off? I mean, you're not going to bring Hazard off because he was having a day. And then you're left with Angola Conte, Jorginho, and Barkley. It's almost as if, though, Brandon, and I know this is crazy, it's almost as if you could have went to a back three. Oh. You know? Right. And I know this is where most people get confused because it's like, I can't change substitutions. You actually can. Um, most managers, in fact, do. Uh, so if they're in need of a goal, you know, for example, like we were, they would change up the formation to add all of the attacking talent they could, you know, to try and get a goal. 
Um, that's not what happened here today. No. Instead, he put Zepacosta on for Aspie and then sent David Luiz up top. So, you know. I, I will say the funniest tweet I saw about the match, and there wasn't a lot of good humor about things, but there was one person who said if Sorry had a forced sub, he'd sub Kovacic back on for Barkley. <laughs> That that did make me smile uh, in a very good. sad Those and outside the rules, way. people. Uh. <laughs> I I saw the the best one I saw I read right before we got online uh, was from God. Who was this? I, I want to give this person credit because it was good. Hold up, uh, from at Nick underscore ELT leads wouldn't even spy on us oh damn Ac- accurate but, I mean, <laughs> why would you you wouldn't have to right and i think that's the biggest thing right now uh did i read right that Maurizio said uh barcelona's predictable and they still want everything is that an actual quote I just twitter being twitter I, maybe i don't I know have, i have not seen that from official outlets but maybe it is either way it hit the wires so uh stats wise chelsea had 11 shots only two on target United had seven shots, five on target, so that's much more deadly. Obviously, when we have 67% possession to their 33%, it's just that hell of a day at that point. Um, corners, offsides, yada, yada, whatever. At Joe tweeting, two, Chelsea only attempted two shots on target in this match against Manchester United, both coming in the 11th minute of the tie, blunt. Um yeah, that's one way one way to put it. Uh, also might be the remedy. But anyways, we don't need to talk about the goals. <laughs> nice. That was good from you. Look at you sneaking one in I there. like how the photo of that tweet is Mauricio looking at his watch. Is like, like, is it over yet? How much longer? Brutal. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Um, anyways, Chelsea fans, we don't need to go through the goals and the predictions. Let's just go ahead and dig right into the deep questions that all of you have. Uh pretty much judging by social media. So perhaps before we talk about specifics of the match, we don't really need to get into too much of the details, right? Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the larger context of Chelsea's season. One month ago, Chelsea were headed to the final for one cup, advancing in another two cups and top four in the Premier League. Now we're looking good to advance in the Europa League, thank gosh, out of the FA Cup and looking exposed heading into the League Cup final and Top four, not looking so good as we're on our toughest run of Premier League fixtures of the season. So after today's results, one question we have to ask, and you have all asked, should Chelsea back Maurizio Sarri? And will he be able to deliver on either top four or return to the Champions League? So obviously, Nick, I think this is the the biggest question we have in front of us because... Obviously, those are the standards set by Chelsea as a club. Now, I think it gets a little tricky because Chelsea hired Maurizio not only to achieve these goals, but also change the style of play of the club. So again, are the club, do you think they're going to stick or twist on Maurizio? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think Dan wrote this question. I think that was a very nice phrasing of the, of the oh, question. Thank you. Um, the delivery uh, most, was exquisite. Look, yeah, I, I I meant to comment on that specifically. Yeah, writers never get their due, that's for sure. <laughs> Word. Um, look, I, I think most people, you know, if, if you judge by Twitter and you, and you judge specifically by, you know, people that we like and respect and have met, um, there, I don't think there's a future for him at Chelsea right now. Um, 
this was a big match, and it's not because the FA Cup is our primary, you know, primary objective this season. I mean, we won it last year. Um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we're going to win it again at some point, knock on wood. But we have to get back in the Champions League more than anything. Like this, this League Cup final on Sunday doesn't, you know, really matter as much as getting back in the Champions League. Sad to say, I know it's a trophy, but Champions League is everything, and. There is nothing about our league form, and I'm looking at league form specifically, or really even our Europa League form, to be completely honest with you, because it's been you know kind of a secondary competition until now it's starting to get real. That makes me think that, that anything over the last two months is just a blip on the radar and that we're going to return to playing this free-flowing attacking football. This team does a very good job of holding the ball and having the most possession, and that's it. They don't score goals consistently. They don't defend consistently. They don't boss the midfield consistently. It's it's bad. This this run of form is bad, and unfortunately for Maurizio Sarri, it's happening at the worst time of the season. And Dan, I know, I know it's ludicrous. You know, in in all of our time doing this podcast, we've we've been through a few managers. I know it's ludicrous to think about sacking a guy after seven months on the job, no preseason, all the stuff he's had to go through, yada yada yada. But man, the results are proven out, and I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah, and I, I think the re- the thing that we have to draw the context between is that ultimately we're not excited that someone is about to lose their job, right? There's you know people who are going with hashtag sorry in, hashtag sorry out. And it's not about whether or not, you know, you buy into the ideology, whether or not you think the the players are culpable to blame, but ultimately the manager or the coach has to produce the result. And ultimately if the results are not finding a way to happen, then then you have to either modify the approach or the style of you know that you're gonna play, you know, in terms of how we set up the type of substitutions we make, the lineup that we choose. You know, if you can copy and paste the lineup, you know, I know that, you know, um, Ferguson was famous for having his lineups planned out a month in advance. I don't think this was what he meant when he was talking about that type of, you know, game planning or planning for matches because there would occasionally be variation um, of a, a seismic amount. So while I would love... For this to be the romantic story, right, where this man comes in and has a passion for attractive possession football that capitalizes on, on a quick movement and the skill of the players, that that is not what this is turning out to be. And we you know, joke, realistically joke in a kind of self-defeating way about the darkest timeline, Brandon, but this feels closer and closer to sorry writing the end of his story versus being somewhere in the middle chapters as it relates to his time with Chelsea. So I was listening to the BBC five live pod on the way home from work tonight. And they were talking about Unai Emery at Arsenal and how it would be ludicrous if they, a got rid of him this season and B didn't back him in the transfer market this summer. They said it would be like just, It'd be unrealistic. That's not what you can do. Why is it that Arsenal and Chelsea are having pretty similar seasons, if you look at it, all in all, but yet Maurizio Sarri is absolutely tanking it. He should not be given time. He's not be given money. He should just be out the door. Like, is that... 
I was thinking about this, and my guess is just that, well, our expectations are higher than Arsenal's. Arsenal have a shitty owner. Chelsea have Roman Abramovich, one of the best owners. Maybe the fact that they're coming off a regime of Arsene Wenger of like 20-some years. Chelsea, this is what we do. We chop and change. And I'm not saying it's right to keep Maurizio because what is happening is not good. But I just kind of think about that. Like two clubs that are essentially in the same position almost exactly, yet two completely different outtakes on the managers. In the same episode, they said Maurizio needs to go. Unai Emery needs time. Well, so, I mean, here, here's the thing with that. You look at like what Arsenal's history is with winning, and they last won the league 20, uh, 2003-2004. They last won the League Cup 1992-93. They last won the FA Cup 2016-17, which some of us will remember. They won the Community Shield in 2017. And their last Europe... You know, it's in the Mourinho treble. Um, So the... They won in uh, the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup in ninety three ninety four, and that that's like the last like that they do not have a pedigree right now of winning anything, and so the expectation for a manager to come in and to have time and flexibility to adapt and to make changes and have the the flexibility or backing or support is different when the expectation at Chelsea is to win at all costs and sometimes that cost is significant when we sell players that are probably you know shouldn't be sold when we sack managers maybe prematurely but from some people's perspective but when you think about the fact that we've won you know premier league titles 2014 15 um 2016 17 we won fa cups uh you know 2011 2012 2017 2018 won the league cup uh, 2014 15 uh, Community Shield last time in 2009. Uh, you know, Europa League 12-13, Champions League 11-12. No, I get I, it. I, th- th- there's just there's there's seismic differences. But like you know, our our expectation should be to have someone in this job who is going to understand the context of that and know the reality is that you cannot jeopardize the long term, uh, you know, success of this club to try to instill. And be so rigid that you won't adapt in the slightest to try to make that happen and meet your mandate. So two things, though. What's long term? Because two two years is not long term. You know, in Chelsea's world, it is right. Like no manager lasts more than two seasons if they do. But I will say this: I am significantly concerned with Maurizio Sarri's ability to lead Chelsea through this. I do acknowledge he was massively hamstrung this summer by the board's inability to bring him in before August. And then, I don't care if you brought in Jorginho, as you look through this squad, Nick, here's my problem. You've got players that have been bought for so many different managers over the years. I think we have a fractured squad. We have no identity. We have wingbacks playing as fullbacks. You have back three center backs playing in a back two. You have box-to-box midfielders playing in a midfield three as specialists. And you have, well, now we finally have a forward, but you've got drink water soaking up massive wages on the bench. You know, you've also got Ross Barkley, who kind of seems like a club signing because we know Conte had no interest in him. To me, I just feel like every year a couple players get frozen out and a couple get brought in. And to be fair, I think Maurizio has been backed pretty significantly by the club 
with the the Kovacic and the Jorginho signings. But other than that, and obviously now um, Gonzalo Higuain, but other than that, you've got a squad of people who were brought to the... Like, no one probably feels that loved. And Gary Cahill can be the first one to raise his hand and say the amount of <sighs> yeah. turnover uh, of managers has definitely left him out to dry big time. Yeah, look, there there are a bunch of square pegs and round holes right now, um, unfortunately. And that is no more apparent than it was against City 6-0. That was no more apparent than it was against Bournemouth 4-0. No more apparent than it was again, you know, again tonight. And you you have to, you know, we, since I, I feel like doing the episode that we did with Joe Tweeds last spring about the director of football, club structure, all that stuff. I feel like that has basically reverberated in my head almost every episode that we've done since because it seems Look, I'm not. I'm not telling anyone how to spend their money. If Abramovich wants to spend his money this way, do what you got to do, man. Like, you've you've invested a lot in the club, and you've invested a lot in my happiness, and I will forever thank you for that. But in just in my brain, it seems so odd to go about the process this way when there are successful examples out there, and and of course, City comes to mind right now. Freaking, you know. Dortmund comes to mind, Monaco comes to mind, like all of these systems and various ways to go about, you know, organizing your club to to just do the slash and burn method over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I, I don't know. It just seems like a, a big waste of money, honestly. Like, I, I don't know why, you know, like clearly if, if Antonio Conte wanted Paul Pogba, and he got Ross Barkley. Like, yeah, that's not the same kind of player. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's just not. And and look, Ross has been pretty good for us at times this year. I, you know, this is not really an indictment on him. I just don't, you know, he's not Paul Pogba. You know, he's not. Less dabbing. Uh, not even the same. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Pogba is scoring many goals, though, and assisting. So, again, like, I mean, I, I, I think, I think my big challenge is that ultimately – you know, if you are taking on a job, like it is your responsibility as the person who is, you know, applying for and then would ultimately take the job to understand, you know, to, to complete an interview yourself too, right? Like you're going to, you know, if I go to interview for a job, like I want to make sure that that company is going to be just as good of a fit for me as I'm going to be for that institution. And so I should be asking the right questions, understand like, hey, you know, what is the transfer situation going to look like? What is the squad recruitment thing going to look like? And I am sure that the club was very explicit in what was going to be made available and what the reality of the situation was going to be and what the expectation of result was going to be. You know, Chelsea is a result-based club, and so I, I don't believe for a moment that you could write a narrative where there wasn't appropriate expectations set around what was going to happen with transfers and what was going to happen when it comes to what he needs to accomplish on the pitch. And so if Mauricio Sarri is thinking that it's okay or even going so far as to say like the the goal now is just to go back and work on his players after you know two of the worst losses in our history in the Premier League um I, I just I don't I don't know what to say anymore like I, I just feel like he's so disconnected from the gravity of the situation uh, at least from what he presents in a public scenario it's 
almost unnerving. Um, and I, I understand where so much of the fr- frustration right now comes from, Nick. Oh, for sure. Like, look, I, I think the thing that I'm most frustrated about is not Zappa Costa coming in today. It really? is the fact that, that was no. a pretty bad one. <laughs> it was bad. It, it, you know, it felt, it, it felt bad at the time. It feels worse now. <laughs> um, no, but I, it's, it's the insistence on me over we, my football, right? Not a plan B, my football, my football, my football, my football. Your football right now isn't delivering results. So unless, you know, there's another way to go about teaching that football, it's time to move to a plan B or it's time to move on. Like we we cannot go to Wembley on Sunday and get embarrassed 6-0. Cannot happen. I, I, I'm not an, I'm not an overreaction type typically, but that, like, if that happened again, I, I, it's unfathomable. I mean, cup finals are usually nervy, tight affairs, and right, you know, I, I said in our text group going into this game, nothing. He's not changing. Why would I expect the results to change? Of course, I thought we were going to lose this game. It just makes no sense. It, it, it has to be about the team has to be about using the players the best that you can. And it absolutely cannot be about me over, over we. Your philosophy is not greater than or equal to this football club and the players that play there. And I think the players at, at times this season have deserved you know, a lion's share of the blame. But after I've seen what I've seen the last few, few weeks, uh, I mean, my percentage has tilted back. I guess from you know largely the players to to largely Maurizio. Your your blamo meter, your blamo meter has tipped in the the direction of the manager again. Yeah, no, I honestly was. I mean, go listen to those episodes. I I thought it was a sixty forty players manager, right? And the and the reason I always kind of lean that way is because the players actually have a say of what happens on the pitch, right? If they give up or they get disenchanted or you see heads drop or whatever, that's a player's thing for sure. But, you know, the manager's job is to set up a system, Brandon, in which they can go thrive. And right now, I don't feel like he's fulfilling his end of the bargain. All right. I know it's a quick, abrupt stop, Chelsea fans, but we're going to go ahead uh, and play a quick ad from our friends at Burrow for you real quick. And then we'll be right back into the conversation. All right. Now, here we go. Back into the conversation. So the, (laughs) the problem is his argument is. They're not playing his football. That's what he said every single time. He's like, I would change if they were playing the way I wanted them to and it wasn't working. So in his mind, this summer, Chelsea said, hey, you come here and play the exciting attacking football you did at Napoli. That's what they told him. And so he's being persistent while he is trying to get the team to do what he wants. Now the problem is we're regressing. We're nowhere close to where he wants them. He always talks about the the tempo of passing is too slow. We, they pass sideways too much. They don't go forward. But why not? Why aren't they getting this system down any better after six months of trying this than the first two months? Like what has happened? And so I think what a lot of times people will compare him to Guardiola, Guardiola in his first season. I have no idea why I said it like that. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, anyways, and the difference, though, I think is Guardiola 
set the foundation in season one to do it better in season two. He wasn't playing exactly the way he is now back then. And I think that's the difference is Guardiola looked at it as a bit of a progression, right? So if you're a new manager coming into a new team, you need to take what you have, take what the players have been doing, and then kind of slowly adapt it to what you want instead of coming in day one saying, everything you've ever been taught, forget it, we're doing this new thing. That's hard on anyone in any industry, in any career. And I just think that him taking that approach, uh, it was probably fresh and exciting right away, but now it's become tedious and painful because the players aren't allowed to do what they maybe know or maybe what's comfortable. They are you know, probably being told over and over how they're doing it wrong and they need to do it differently and better. And I mean, and Dan, uh, you know, you manage people, I manage people, it's to the point where Nick, you manage people, like they don't want to hear the same negative, repetitive message over and over and over. And he has no middle ground. He went to the extreme and he can't come back at all because now he'll look wrong. And so to me, he kind of, kind of mismanaged the entire situation from the beginning. Yeah. And it's easy to look back on that now and with the benefit of hindsight, reflect upon What's gone well for Sari, which was the first run of 10, 11, 12, 18 fixtures where it worked quickly and it was different and it was not how teams expected Chelsea to set up. And so there could be a little bit of system shock for teams that were used to Chelsea playing a certain way of football. I just think this identity football is the Chelsea's identity for football for the past decade and a half you know 20 years at this point is a winning mentality regardless of formation regardless of the types of players regardless of possession not possession attacking counterattacking we we have been a side that is just focused on winning and so when i think about what i want from sorry and what he is capable of doing i just feel like my challenge is i don't see the compatibility at this moment, Nick, between what his philosophy is, what Chelsea's true philosophy of football is, where sorry is possession counterattack attack and keep the ball and find the diamond and have three pass options available to you, where Chelsea's about just go the F out and win. And whatever way you do it, whether it's one nil, whether it's, you know, back and forth, four, three, we don't care. Just deliver on expectations and give us trophies. I don't think they're as compatible as either side thought they were going to be. No, no. I mean, I agree. It's a massive shift, obviously. Well, it is. It definitely is. And look, I I think Sari's loan defense and I think what everyone over the last six or so weeks has realized is that for this to to truly work, he would need two things that he was never going to really get. One is a massively overhauled squad that fit his exact strengths and needs. And two was a, a more than seven months of time to get it right. And I think he potentially could have bought himself some time if the team would have improved over the last seven months and not regressed. However, th- th- that's the situation we're in, man. The games are tough this time of year. February is a brutal month for most teams. And somehow Manchester United figured it out. Somehow City have figured it out. Somehow Liverpool have figured it out. Somehow 
fucking Spurs have figured it out without a, without their two freaking best players. It's nuts, and we and we've regressed. Um, and and it's it's unacceptable because, like Dan said, this is a team we used to scoff at Arsenal, right? Scoff at them, ha! Identity football. You you go up to City and get massacred because you tried to play attacking football at their place. Like, it's crazy, man. Like, I don't care what formation we play. I want. I I would love a you know I would love a system to just be infallible and work all the time. But that's not the Premier League. Klopp's had to change it. Guardiola's had to change it. I mean, Pochettino changes his freaking lineup every single week. I never know if they're going to play a back three or a back four. I never know if they're going to play two forwards or not. Like, and all that does is keep the other team reacting to what you're doing instead of going out there on your high horse and saying, this is the only way to play football. Uh, Sorry is, is Johan Cruyff without, I think the tactical knowledge. Yeah. So I I think there's been a couple good analogies though on Twitter about he's the, he's the NCAA coach that goes to the NFL and is just not equipped to make the transition at that level with the complexities of the game and how they evolve and change. So essentially he's Chelsea Steve Spurrier, which is you know, not, <laughs> not a great spot to be in. Well, and, and the other thing too is like Mourinho got away with it for so long because as a man manager, he was incredible. You could argue that outside of Sir Alex Ferguson, there has never been like prime Mourinho was the best man manager in the entire sport. He could have got John Terry and Frank Lampard players at the prime of their career, you know, all timers to run through a wall for him because he got them to believe. And he was a good communicator, not because he always said things they liked or he not like he ever didn't call them out in press conferences, but he knew how to manage those types of personalities at a club like Chelsea for uh for a good amount of time. I mean, he did it twice. And I think it is, you know, if it's one thing to be really successful, right? Like Nick Saban. Really, really successful. Also kind of a terrible dude. Definitely an asshole. But he wins. So it doesn't matter, right? Like everyone will buy in. You would have Nick Saban at your school tomorrow in college football if it meant that your team was, you know, gonna be in with a real shot to win the national championship. Nick, would you also relate him to uh, one coach for the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick? Yes. Also, also a jerk, a big (laughs) jerk, but he wins. And that's the thing. Like you can win and be a jerk. Sorry. hasn't won a trophy and I'm not saying it's, he will never win a trophy, but you can't be a jerk and also not win. Like those two things are incompatible. So it's, it's kind of crazy. And I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but like, it's kind of crazy to to call out your players as as rabidly as he has. I mean, it's probably some of the more brutal takedowns we've seen from managers at Chelsea, and you know we we lived through some rough Mourinho days uh, and angry Conte. Like there there have been some personalities in the managerial chair at this club, and and then you know to not be able to communicate it's just crazy brandon i I don't know i know and you know like honestly if we just want to touch on some of the patreon questions because you guys you know obviously delivered as usual yeah Yeah. i mean obviously you've got sorry out you've got Jorginho, louise aspie um you know talking about the losses you know not having leaders like steve holland and john terry um 
you know, even calling out Aspie Laqueda. I, I, I will say, I will say that's a really key call out from Akshay with the fact that we don't have Steve Holland in the dressing yeah, room anymore. Apparently. Well, I mean, he was he was one of those tethers, right? Like throughout managers coming and going, that he could keep the identity of the structure, the relationship between the players and the club together. And I I generally think you know even bringing in someone like Zola, um, we haven't replicated what Holland was was doing the the glue the sticky element that he provided to that relationship between the manager and the players and being able to be the the go between. I don't think we have that and we have not replaced him in that capacity, even with someone uh, as important to Chelsea as, you know, John Franco Zola. I, you know, I don't think Zola uh, honestly would do a very good job, but we've seen more surprising uh, efforts. Right, Robbie? Right, Di Matteo? Um, guys, I when you start to blame so many different players, Nick, I just worry that there's a bigger problem at play. And I know then you look at the manager because they set um, you know, the, the team up, they set the strategy, they set the tactics, and it goes down from there. Obviously, the Angola Conte Jorginho has been an ongoing theme all season. But I think for me, you know, guys, Hari, you know, it, whether or not Maurizio is here next season. Here's my problem. I think that Chelsea's squad is so fractured with players of such a wide variety of skill sets. And we talk about that director of football or that consistency, even a Steve Holland, right? Like the board would never, ever let anyone come in and not have Steve Holland as, you know, his number two because he brought that consistency and Chelsea to it. If Maurizio leaves next season, Nick, I think this strategy has to be to go get a highly experienced manager who's looking for a project, which might be hard to get. You're going to lose Hazard, so you cash in. And it's got to be in a minimum two-year rebuilding job. And there's going to be a lot of players going. You're probably going to feel a lot of pain next season. But how else do you break up this consistent cycle of buying you know, players year in, year out to fit different things Unless Roman comes in, says, screw the stadium, I'm putting $300 million into the squad this season, and you can chop and change essentially an entire squad for a new manager specifically. I just I don't see a way back at this point with Maurizio and these players. And I don't even blame Maurizio completely. No, I, I mean, the blame, the blame can never be complete. Like, as, as much as I was on his case earlier, you know, trying to make the... You know, just a couple of quick points that I wanted to about his press conferences and and everything else. I mean, you win and lose as a team. <laughs> Anyone who's ever played sports knows that it's not one person's job or another person's job or whatever. It, it is it is the entire team in it together, uh, and it just so happens to be that in this sport, at this club, in this moment, it's easier to change a manager one one person or a backroom staff of six than it is to change out what is admittedly a squad that needs to be changed over. Everybody sees that now, okay? Everybody sees it. Uh, it is It has been made out to be very, very obvious. There will be... I, I know a couple of key pieces that are probably going to be leaving in the summer, so, I mean... 
There will be some changeover, I think, pretty well certain at this point. But I am, I'm also, I think to your earlier point, Brandon, I am hoping and praying every day that there is a, a light switch that goes on at the boardroom level that says, we have to do things differently. We can't keep doing it this way. Because what has happened, as you as you so rightfully pointed out at the beginning of the episode, you get a lot of square pegs in, in round holes depending on who the manager is. You know, two seasons ago, Gary Cahill is the anchor of our defense, and sure, not always the best player in our defense, but was the captain of our team and led our team to Premier League glory. Two seasons later, he has been frozen out apparently. Can't can't find minutes to talk to the manager. And that seems pretty you know unacceptable and inexcusable to me. Um, you know you get a get a Marcus Alonso who as a wing back we had we had some doubts about sure, and he didn't always play great, but he added something to our attack and changed the trajectory of our season two seasons ago. Is not a left back, and he's certainly not a left back in this system. And you know you can kind of go on down the list from there. I mean it is it's bleak. And the the board has a couple of challenges. They not only did have to find someone who wants this job, which I, I mean I can't imagine it's easy. Like, genuinely, not not trying to be over dramatic. I can't imagine it's easy to find a, a, a manager worth his salt who wants to come into a, a really really difficult situation. I mean, you got to have confidence out the yang. To, to come to Chelsea and think you're going to do your thing. And then they also have to yeah, find players who, who are flexible enough to play for anybody because it, anybody could be our manager at any given point. Yeah. And I think the, the challenge is the board is going to, you know, if Mauricio Sarri does not end up making it through the month, like there'll be a caretaker manager and, and obviously that will be the short term solution, right? Like we're not going to have a, United style moment where we bring in us a caretaker who ends up becoming the permanent manager of the club. So, you know, in the summer, you're going to get clamoring for two things, right? You're going to get clamoring for some level of former player, whether that be Frank Lampard, whether that be John Terry, who are too young in their managerial career. And when I, I say that, I'm making the cases. I love the long term idea of that. I think that long term idea is great. But if you look at where the club situation is at today, you look at the challenges that the board has, the the challenges we have with players, the challenges with a rotating door of managers. I don't want a fractured relationship like that between the club and Frank Lampard, the manager, until we know that there is a good institutional setup for him to come into and be successful and where he could coach or manage us for 10, 15, 20 years if he decided to do that. Like that's that would be the dream scenario. So then if we don't go down that pathway, right? If we're going down an alternate timeline, then you have the, well, you're gonna recruit, you know, a top tier manager, right? Because that's what Chelsea likes to go out and buy. And the one that we see rumored right now is uh Zidane. So, you know, if you go after him, who previously managed at Real Madrid and won plenty of trophies, which it, for some people is the expectation that a manager at Chelsea has to have that as a part of their resume. So those people will feel phenomenal about a hiring like that. That guy's going to want quality players. You know, he's not going to accept coming to a club and dealing with the likes of having Danny Drinkwater on the 
the, the available pool of players that is selectable for him. Easy hot takes. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's it's a real hard, hard hot take about Danny Drinkwater. Well, you don't Drinkwater's think Zinedine Zidane wants to drink pounds. water in his squad after he spends $200 million, allegedly? Well, but I think that's that's the other thing is would the – board would roman would you know marina whoever is going to help make the decision sanction something so massive which would be a complete overhaul and would essentially need to be like an fu to financial fair, fair play and just be like look we're going to sell a bunch of players we're going to recoup a lot of money we're going to completely refresh our starting 11 we're going to try to keep and hazard we've got aretha balaga for a long time and we've got Angolo Conte, and let's around that build a better Chelsea and that means integrating the right youth team players it means you know getting phenomenal talent at the the top level to come in to play for this side and I don't necessarily know if I see that either Brandon so like I I just I generally am at a loss for what the club will do at the end of the season moving forward and it just continues to be season after season like the, the tumultuous nature of Chelsea has not subsided in any point over the past couple seasons. Well, I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> win a title, sack a manager. Win a title, win a cup, sack a manager. When, nope. Well, that is gone. I mean, we have a great record as a podcast, right? Like our, our episode <laughs> or our seasons to trophy ratio, Nick, fantastic. Like no one is beating us in the podcast game. Unfortunately, that every other season record, or actually, what is it? Three out of four, we won a trophy, and now we aren't looking, I you know, in great position to to repeat, even though there's still the Europa League and uh, this weekend's Cup final. Um, it, you know, look, we spent a lot of time kind of talking big picture stuff. We got a million questions, guys. It's just there's a lot to to cover right now we kind of want to use this to just have the discussion you're probably having with friends at home out there so we can keep it going at a high level i mean dan you asked me how i don't know the the answer is i don't know and that's because we're not in the boardroom but i do think this is a really interesting moment for the club nick chelsea made a very obvious decision to try something different it's not going well and as we started the episode, we can kind of end the episode, does Chelsea sticker twist? We don't know. But it's definitely a point where the club are going to show their intentions, whether or not they keep Maurizio. And I think we'll learn a lot. I think we're going to learn a lot after that. Regardless, I think that we're in for some short-term pain to kind of re-stabilize the ship because we're going in three different directions now. If I just look at the squad the backroom staff. I mean, you guys talk about Steve Holland leaving massive difference. It's a whole new world at the club and and to change the entire backroom staff to change some of the playing staff to change the manager. It's a lot to take in. And I don't think we always give it the credit um, that it deserves as far as how difficult it is, even for players and staff at the highest of highest levels. It's just a lot of change at Chelsea. And like you said, I, I, I really hope the club is able to take a step back and, and you know figure out what the new approach is. And they're going to have to do it in, what, the next seven to ten days, Nick? I mean, there's not a lot of time for the club to uh, to, to figure it out. Nope. No, there isn't. Um, 
but they knew that they knew what you know what the matches or the fixture schedule was going to look like around this time of year. Uh, we have Malmo at home on Thursday, and then we go to Wembley on Sunday, and then you know that's what it is. Um, I I struggle because you know there, there's truly not a good time to you know if a move was to be made, there's not really a good time to do it right now. Um, you're not getting giving a caretaker time to train with a squad to to rebuild confidence. You know, and, and certainly I think if you keep going with sorry, you're going to have the same kind of results that you've had. I, you know, frankly, you know, I, I don't know if there's a right answer in there. Uh, I think that's, Dan, that's pretty much just where we're at. Yeah, it's going to be a very telling time over the next couple of matches. You would expect that Chelsea should be able to win against uh, Marsh Malmo. Um, oh, God. <laughs> In the uh, the midweek fixture, you would expect that we will probably lose to Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. And you would expect that, given the current run of form, that we would probably lose to Tottenham. And I think if you lose a cup final, you get knocked out of the FA Cup. You get further pushed back into sixth place and are kind of getting locked into a sub four finish. Even if you advance in the Europa League, there's not a lot of strong justification if the goal was top four in Champions League football, where there's now a very narrow window of success available because there's some pretty decent squads still left in the Europa League. Like, I know that statistically, like, you know, the SPI or Soccer Power Index would say that we have the best chance to win the Europa League. You know, Napoli is, is playing well. Sevilla is playing well. But there are good squads in the Europa League. That is not a guarantee for us. So as much as be able to say, oh, yeah, if we miss out on top four and it's, you know, we're it's about five or six, we're still going to win the Europa League. That That is not a given. So... If that's where we are at the end of February and the 28th comes, like I would not be surprised if we got the Chelsea corner flag JPEG on the website and talk about the different direction we're going. I in. think that is what's going to make you the happiest seeing that, honestly. It's not It's not going to make me happy. You want a little corner flag the in inverse. Your Come on. I want the inverse. I would love for us to win the League Cup, to beat Tottenham, to advance in the Europa League, and have put ourselves on two good paths to advance, um, to sorry, to to find solid ground. I just think looking at the preponderance of evidence right now, that a very realistic view is that this is not heading in a positive direction right now. All right. No. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Not, not really sticking your neck out on that one. It's but not, It's, it's not going to make me happy to see a guy get fired. It's not going to see me – I'm not going to be happy to see it fail. Like I think ultimately we were all – brought in with this idea of the sexy football being imported from Italy on Mauricio Sarri and wanting that to be successful here. And you know what? Like sometimes things don't work. Sometimes you try things and they're, they don't work out exactly as planned and it sucks for everyone involved. It sucks for the board because they've invested to try to make this happen. It sucks for the players who some were purchased or brought in to play a certain style under a certain manager. And it sucks for the people who this manager, his, his family, his staff that he brought over here. Like, it, it sucks for the fans. Like, it is not a good situation. So I think it doesn't make anybody happy. And if, if you do find glee in all of this, like, you are just a 
perverse individual and should find a different way to get satisfaction out of it. Right. Look, it's just a club first mentality and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Obviously, we get emotionally connected to to managers, uh, to players, and that is totally normal. It is part of being a fan and you all getting upset on Twitter is totally normal. You just have to keep in perspective on what we say uh, because we get passionate, we get emotional, and that is half the fun on Twitter. So hopefully by the time you listen to this a day or two later, uh, things will settle down. Uh, we'll have a little bit more clarity on the club going forward. And that is it. But a huge shout out to Aerith Muggle, Mr. Thurman, Big Nash, um, and all of you on Twitter who hit us up. Uh, I know we didn't directly answer all of your questions, but I mean, we covered a lot tonight. And so uh, I just want to give a huge shout out to Nick and Dan. You guys, obviously, we're sitting here uh, 9.30 at night on a Monday still doing this, uh, you know, like, thank you. Obviously, I think our listeners are going to appreciate it. Listeners, we appreciate all of you for getting involved and helping us, uh, you know, put out such a, a, a crazy conversation piece going into this week. Uh, all we say is don't let it stop now. Let's have that conversation uh, throughout the week. I know I've already had my conversation with people on Twitter uh, getting into it. Um, not in a, not in an angry way. I, I, I mean, just getting involved and having it, obviously Steven and I talking about it because he thinks I'm a sorry apologist. Uh, so we're hashing out our differences right now. I'm kidding. Uh, but let's keep it going. It is healthy. Uh, you know, plugging the Patreon discord server. Honestly, that is the best way for us to engage and, and, and keep this going. I would check it out if you haven't. Um, uh, but guys, that that's a wrap. We're going to call it a night. We could probably keep going in circles for hours longer, but uh, Nick and Dan, anything you guys want to wrap up, a uh, final thought or maybe a, a summation of where you're at, Nick? Uh, you know, just pray for the best. That's, that's it. I mean, I, again, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, I think everyone has a right to feel aggrieved right now. Um, it's, it's just part of our existence as Chelsea fans for, you know, some, some longer than us, some, um, kind of new to the team. Uh, it's, it's a rocky old road. Sometimes it's paved with gold. Sometimes it's, uh, it's this. And, you know, I think everyone just get behind, uh, get behind the players the best you can and, and, you know, do the best we can as fans the rest of the season. Yeah. I think the, uh, the easy thing is, and what's kind of been fractured, is I think the relationship of fans amongst one another. And so, uh, you know, don't don't let the results on the pitch or the performances of the player or your agreements or disagreements with other people, you know, cause, cause a divide. You know, at the end of the day, we're all Chelsea supporters and we root for the best club uh, in England, in the entire world, even if the results uh, don't match that right now. So uh, unity is, is a good thing to think about. Yeah, right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I fully back it. We try. Right. It's more of like a, hey, I know what's really going to happen. But hey, we can give it a shout. You know, we can give it a try. See what happens. Might surprise ourselves. All right. Update for you. At the bottom of my pint is not happiness, is not an answer. It is just another empty aluminum can. But I did finish it throughout this episode. So for all of you out there on your way to work, finishing your own pint or your own beverage, uh, it'll get better. It's Chelsea. If there's one thing we know, the club will not stand for mediocrity or a terrible run of results. We have very high standards, and I would like to think we could trust the board to continue to set those standards and make it absolutely necessary for everyone at the club, both staff and players 
to reach those heights. So here's on to the next day. Let's find out what happens. That's all we can do is wait and see. Uh, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. So a massive thank you for all of you who listened. We really do appreciate it. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Mm-hmm.